coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. If you're ready to, uh, to get to the message, get to the word, get into the Bible, say, I'm ready. Wow, you guys are almost almost primed up and ready to go. Uh, we got an opening verse for you, John chapter 13. If you've been with us at all during this series, you'll know that I keep uh, bringing this one up over and over and over again. John chapter 13, verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. Your love for one another. Your love for one another. Your love for one another will prove, that's my Uncle Phil impression, uh, are going to prove that you are my disciples, not your spiritual gift, not your physical ability, not your physique. Not your ability to do something or serve someone, uh, the amount of money in your bank account. None of those things are going to tell somebody else that you're a disciple of Jesus. The overwhelming thing, according to Scripture, not just me, not just my idea, the overwhelming thing that will let people know that we are a disciple of Jesus is the way that we... Sorry, the overwhelming thing that's going to tell people that we are a disciple of Jesus is our love. That's right. If we love one another, that's going to be like, hey, you've got this uncommon way to care for me and my soul. What is that? Oh, that's just me proving scripture, proving to you that you're going to know that I'm a disciple of Jesus by my love. I love what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 12. He says, don't just pretend to love others, which is what most of us are really good at. Really love them. And how do we do that? We hate what is wrong. We hold tightly to what is good. I love this verse 10. Love each other with genuine affection. More traditional translations say, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. Be so deeply committed to one another that you take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. I wonder what that, wonder what our lives would look like if we were people that took delight in honoring one another. It's easy to take delight in tearing somebody else down. It's easy to do that. It's easy to take a shot. It's easy to do what we like. It's easy to call out the things that we do like and the things that we don't like and, and, and to mock somebody else. It's hard to say, I see the good, I see the gold, I see the best in you, and I want to draw it out, and I want to honor you for that. Now, I, I've learned my lesson. No, I haven't learned my lesson. I'm, I'm in the process of learning my lesson because a number, a couple months ago, I don't know if you remember this, I was talking about moving. And I said that I believe that the single greatest act of sacrificial love that one uh, could, could make is to help somebody move, right? That's like, the, that's like the, it's the worst thing on earth, and no amount of payment makes it okay. Like, you offer pizza and whatever assorted beverages, but I don't need your pizza. I'm a grown-up now. I can buy my own pizza. Pizza is not in sight, you know, like, that's not enticing me over to helping you move, and so I made this whole big deal about, but, you know, you'll, I can, you know, actually, I can prove that I'm a disciple of Jesus by the way I love you when I show up to help you move. And so I made this whole big deal about it. And the very next day, somebody not even from our church sends me a text message and goes, hey, bud, dot, dot, dot. Now, I can tell you the worst way to start a text message in any text message that starts with, hey, bud, 
I'm like, oh, what's about to happen here? This is like, I mean, and there's a few other words that are interchangeable with bud that, uh, that really grate my soul. You could say like, hey, chief, and I know something's not good. Hey, guy. You know, if you come up to me in person, like, hey, guy. And it's not even the way, like, you say It's just like they say it strange. But bud's one of the ones where you know that either someone's going to make fun of you or something really bad is coming down the pipeline. Hey, bud, dot, 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 uh. What's about to go down? Can you not even, I did not even making this up. Can you come and help me help somebody move tomorrow? <laughs> not help you move, help you help somebody move? Yes. I go home, I'm like, oh, okay. So I go home and tell Des, I said, I really need to be careful about what I say from the stage because when I start talking about moving as like a sacrificial act of love, the very next day, someone doesn't even go to our church, like just sends me a text message out of the blue. It's like, I think the Lord is teaching me a lesson here that I'm supposed to like help people move and really get my love worked out. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll help you move. And so it was a game night and I'm like, hey, you know what? I bet you he's just inviting me over and we're going to go to the game or something. You know, like just a little bait and switch. Oh, you would. You know, just playing games. I'll come over. I'll help you. Sure, yeah, I'll help you move. And uh, so and then he's like, but then things are getting strange. Like he gives me an address that's not his. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of, we're going with the group. It's cool. And I get in the car. I drive over. And I pull into this neighborhood, which these houses are literally like four times the size of mine. And I'm like. And that is very large because my house is not big. So this thing is, these things are like monsters. And I'm, I'm driving my 2004 Buick Rendezvous, and I'm pulling up to this driveway, and I see, like, Escalades, these big, like, jacked-up trucks and this huge trailer. And, like, I'm like, am I at the right place? We're going to the game for sure. Like, and I walk in the house. The front doors are open. There's a bunch of guys that are randomly just moving stuff around. And I see a lady and, and her son and such moving. And I get assigned to the door, which is actually pretty easy. Just only big things that have to go out. They have to get them up the stairs and around the corner. I just take it out the double wide. Like, these are, like, double wide doors that, like, I've never even seen houses like this. Like, these doors are, like, wide. And, and I'm like, in my head, you know, I'm being a real person. I'm like, what am I doing here? Can this person not afford a mover? <laughs> like, if this is the house... Like, what am I doing here? And this is my night, and I'm being a real jerk on the inside, but I'm smiling on the outside. And I'm just carrying stuff out. And all of a sudden, you start to piece together parts of the story. Oh, this is a marriage that fell apart, and this is a mom who's downsizing into an apartment smaller than my bedroom, and her son is disabled, and... They need help, and they didn't know anyone. They didn't have people. And so other people were just reaching out to their people to try and get them to come. And in that moment, you feel like a real jerk. But at least I was smiling on the outside. So the only jerk on the, was on the inside of me. And I'm like, Lord, Father, forgive me, for I knew not what I said. And it was at that moment that I, I was like, don't people have people? Because I have people. I have people that I call. Like, I'm going to call Matt, and I know he's going to come at any time, and he's going to call me, and I'm going to come anytime. I'm like, don't people have people? No, no, no. People don't have people. But when you're a part of the family of God, now you got people. 
when you're a part of the church, now you got people. Why? Because we're the people of God. We're the family of God, and we're your people. Because the people of God, and you're the member of the family of God, which means I'm your people, and, not, and I'm your people, and you're my people, and we're each other's people, and we're in this together. All right, let's get into the Bible, because that's enough of my stories. Is anyone ready for the Bible? No? Okay, I'll just tell another story. All right. We're going to get into a bunch of scripture here, so buckle up. Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read like a whole chunk. You just, you just sit back and enjoy it. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Meanwhile, this is important. The believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. So we'll stop right there. I've got to get to the end of the chapter, so you just buckle up. Um, we read these things, and we're like, oh, that's cool. All the people that were scattered, they all moved around a whole bunch. The reason that they were scattered is because Stephen was stoned in public, in front of everybody, killed with stones like rocks. And so people said, hey, you know what's a good idea? Not dying from rocks. And so they, they scattered out across multiple cities, across multiple regions, the whole church. Like, we're like, we read the Bible, like, you know what would be so exciting is living during, like, the early days of, like, the church. Yeah, the thousands were added daily, but hundreds were dying daily. You know, like Gladiator, where they put people in the ring with the lions and the things? That's what these guys are running from. So when the Bible says, oh, they were scattered during the persecution, it was they were running for their lives. All right. Press play. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyrus and Siren began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed in terms of the Lord. So they would just go to whatever city was available, and then they'd set up shop, and they believed so much, and they were so impacted and so transformed by the power of Jesus, the love for one another, the family of God that they experienced, that wherever they went, they set up shop and they started spreading the word. They said, you cannot contain us. Rocks are not going to scare us. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. You know, we're going to send you some help. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of believers. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Verse 27, during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit a great famine coming upon the entire world. So imagine that you show up to church one day, some prophets show up, and they say, hey, guys, just letting you know, everyone in this country under Roman rule, we're all going to starve. There's a massive famine coming. And you're like, oh, I thought church was supposed to be encouraging. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could, and they, they, uh, this they did, entrusting their gifts to, to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So these prophets show up. Agabus shows up. He's kind of a prophetic guy, and God speaks to him. He says, there's a famine. 
coming in the land. We got to get ready. We got to get prepared. And so they, they hear this message and they're immediately kind of moved to action. And they, they start saying, okay, well, we need to take care of people. We need to like get some money together and send them out to the regions that are going to be affected. Now, I, don't, I could bore you with the exact dates and timelines, but what's important for us to know is that the famine started about six months after Agabus said this. So Agabus says this word, and, you know, people are like, okay. But here's what stuck out to me. Agabus says, hey, there's a famine coming. And they were moved, and they immediately said, we need to do something. Agabus said, there's a famine coming. And they said, hey, we should probably do something to help the people affected by the famine. Here's the thing. The famine didn't happen for another six months. They just responded quickly. Here's what that says to me. When Jesus speaks, it always leads to action. When Jesus speaks, it leads us to action. So God is speaking through this prophetic voice, and they just respond instantly because they're like, listen, they've never had the frauds. They've never had the counterfeits. You know, we have the disservice of having uh, experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly of people saying God said. At that point in history, they're just like, God said, okay, let's do it. But it doesn't change the implication for us. When God speaks and he reveals something, it should move us to action. Our love for one another is being proven by our response to calamity. I mean, if we think about James 1, uh, it talks about this idea of pure religion. Trina can help me out. James 1, uh, 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Just, if we're just going to say, hey, you know, what's religion? It's just taking care of people. It's just, you know, being good people, donating to the food bank, you know, doing those nice things. That's pure and genuine religion. That's just us doing the good thing because it's, it's the right thing to do. But we make a big deal in Christianity about not being religious. It's about relationship. But when we forsake the idea of that religion that we're talking about in James chapter 1, oftentimes we exchange that religion for a relationship that sets us free from helping anyone else because it's all about helping me out. Right? We begin to divorce the thoughts. It's not, Christianity is not about the idea of separating religion away from relationship. There's nothing inherently wrong with religion. It's just the system in which we believe. There's nothing inherently wrong with this. If we believe the right things, if we believe Jesus and we do it from a place of relationship, then there's nothing wrong with this over here. But when we're so afraid of the implications of this rubbing off, what we do is we begin to exchange our love for freedom. We say, I don't need to take care of anyone because I'm not a part of this system. And I'm not a part of this thing. I'm just going to do whatever the Spirit leads you. Now, the amazing thing, every time someone says, I'm going to do whatever the Spirit leads me, they generally get led to do nothing. Right? Or it's just me? I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just free now. I'm going to do whatever I feel led to do. That generally means you're going to do nothing. Because I'm casting off all restraint. 
But if we're going to do what Jesus wants, it's, it's to care for one another. We're, they're going to know that we're Christians by the way we live. Now, here's what's significant. If you think about um, uh, verse 26 in, this, in this, that large chunk of scripture I read, it says this. That's not what I'm looking for. 26. Oh, yeah, that was right. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Just this little thing in brackets right here. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. I wonder why the people at Antioch were first called Christians. So all they did, you know, the idea of being called a Christian, up in this, until this point they were called like followers of the way. They invented those little fish symbols. So if, you, if you're like, if you're angry about seeing cars with fishes like I am, because I'm like, you're driving way too bad to be telling people that you're a Christian. Um, you just blame the early church because they had to come up with a code language to mark where to meet and where to gather and that they were all followers of Jesus because it's the only way they could do it in code because they were going to get killed and persecuted. That's why they scattered. So that's where the fish comes from. These people that were called Christians were no longer just followers of the way. They were people who were like Christ that they actually took on his name. Christian. It's like, I'm an Esslinger from Esslingen. These guys are... It's true. No, that's 100% true. And es, it's in Germany. So, all right. We digress. That's a true statement. Also a true statement. These people were so much like Christ that people put Jesus' name on them. They didn't put it on themselves. So how did they act? How did they behave that that people would just start calling them the Christ ones, that they would literally go by the name of Christ. How did that even happen? Why? The principle remains. When somebody spoke and somebody was in trouble and somebody needed help, when the word of God came that there was going to be a famine, they did not think. They just acted. They just began to respond. They just began to love. Their love was contagious and it was overwhelming and they were always taking care of people and they were always looking after those who could not look after themselves. They were doing that thing that is pure religion, looking after the widows and the orphans and taking care of everybody else so that people said, you know what you kind of look like and you remind me of is that Jesus character. Your life looks so much like it. I wonder what it would look like if somebody looked at my life and they said, hmm, you remind me of somebody. Who is that? Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ. That's what was happening with the phrase Christian. Wow. See, sometimes, and this is probably just me, I, I like to think like the most, the best way that I could show people that I'm a follower of Christ, if I could just like, see somebody healed in a very public place like West Edmonton Mall? Or what if I could just like, you know, and just get a really clear like word of knowledge so I could like read your bank account number back to you even though you probably don't know it. Just surprise you and delight you with, with what God wants to do. And here's the amazing thing. God wants to do all those things. But all of those things come out of love. I want to see somebody heal because I'm so heartbroken by their situation that I just want the God of peace to come in and bring peace to their body and restore and bring back order into their body. And I'm overwhelmed with compassion when I see that. I want somebody to know that God cares for them so much that I'm not just going to 
get a word of knowledge for them, but I'm going to back it up. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, so I'll read them the bank account number that I'm going to get someone to put into the bank account. Because what happens when we don't just do one or the other? Well, I wonder what could happen if we just started living like both and then we just let them get intermingled and started to live this both and like. I think life, then I think people would say, hey, you remind me of somebody in his name. Is, it escapes me right now, but you remind me of somebody like, oh, yeah, the person you're thinking about, Jesus Christ. I remind you of Jesus. It's not a big deal. But people, the world wouldn't even know what name to put to it because they have not seen Jesus in this way. I like to think that most of us in the church, and, and I'm in this basket so hard, is that we like to live our life in the friend zone. And, I, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. I, I Googled the term friend zone, and I went to a trusted resource, Wikipedia, and I discovered this. Friend zone in popular culture, the friend zone is a situation in which one member of a relationship wishes to enter into a romantic relationship while the other does not. It is generally considered to be an undesirable or dreaded situation by the rejected person. I also want to add an asterisk. This is my own definition. This only happens to men. This does not happen to women. Only men are in the friend zone. Women do not ever enter into the friend zone. This is a man-only situation. The friend zone is for men only. This doesn't happen. Now, if Wikipedia is not a trusted enough for, uh, uh, source for you, I went to the uh, Oxford English Dictionary, and there, too, also is found a definition of the word friend zone, which is a situation in which a friendship exists between two people, one of whom has an unreciprocated romantic uh, interest in the other. Oh, there's no... We screwed up that, but that's fine. <laughs> the, the definition is still true. We live most of us, most of our Christian lives in the, the friend zone. If we could just keep you over here, I'm not going to get hurt by you. Oh, I'd love to help, but I'm kind of busy tonight. The Oilers game night. Sort of. Oh, I, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to meet with you, but here's the thing. Can't. Real busy. Oh, is there another time? No. <laughs> Not ever. <laughs> I mean, you say yes, but you really mean never. Ever. Hey, I'll just stop by your place. No, that's fine. I'm coming to you at Tim Hortons. I do not, not want you to know where I live. We live our Christian lives in the friend zone, and yet the very definition of, 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 of when we're starting to look like Christ or what makes us as a disciple is the way that we love one another. And so we live with these walls up, and we live with these barriers up, and we're blocking everybody out. And what we're doing is we're saying, hey, uh, how about you know me by something else different? What's more important is me and, and me not getting hurt and me protecting my schedule even though I don't do much with it. And so I'm just going to live with you far away from me and me over here and we're going to come to church and we're going to have a nice time and then we're going to do some supernatural stuff because that really makes us feel good on the inside. But we're not going to get into each other's lives because when we get in here, it gets messy and I don't want to get dirty. I like to live it nice and clean. And you were probably in sin anyways, which is why you ended up over here. 
Did you know that that's actually a first century mindset that you're carrying? We don't express it in this way, and I've said this many times, but when somebody was sick in, in, in the first century, they just assumed that God was punishing that person. And so if you, if you were sick, or if you're like me, I would have been considered blind, because I can't even see Brendan's face right now. I would have been considered blind, and the reason that I'm like this is because there's clearly some sin that I've committed. And if you didn't commit a sin, your dad did. And if he didn't, your grandpa did. And if your grandpa didn't, then it was your great-great-grandpa, and now God is punishing you for that thing that your great-great-great-great-grandfather did. And so, wow, sucks for you, man. And so we think that when people fall into harm or when people fall into sickness or we fall into these just crazy situations, we don't know it, but what we think is, oh, you did that, and it's your own fault, and now you should learn from it. Why don't you learn your lesson? I'm not going to get involved. But didn't Jesus say, they're going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love. So whether or not it's their fault, whether or not it's messy, whether or not it's sticky, whether or not you like it, whether or not it's convenient, I wonder what could happen if you just did it because you're doing it because you love Jesus and Jesus loves you and you're compelled by his love. So just go do it. It's not about them. It's about you and Jesus. And when Jesus is speaking to us, if we're led by the Spirit, don't you think that he's going to lead us into mercy and compassion and grace, which is the way that he lived instead of judgment? That one was free. So that point is get out of the friend zone if you're taking notes. Here's the last one that I picked up out of Acts chapter 11. Simple thought. How can we help? It's the third point. How can we help? They heard that there was a need. They immediately said, hey, we're going to give. And the Bible just didn't say they pulled out like five bucks when they had like 20 bucks. Has anyone seen um, the movie Sing? Anyone, any, anyone see Sing? Any parent see the movie Sing? Anyone seen it a million times? Oh, just me? Okay, I've seen it a million times. My kids love this movie. And there's a moment in this movie where this guy, Mike, I don't know if he's a mouse or a rat, probably a little bit of both. He's busking, and he's like, he's unbelievable. And this animal walks by, because they're all animals, wearing clothes, <laughs> and doing human things. I don't know why kids love it. It's a little creepy. Um, I also think there's a little bit of profiling going on. Anyways. <laughs> and this guy goes, he flips the guy a coin, and he's like shredding it on the saxophone. He flips the guy a coin, and he goes, I went to Juilliard School of Music. That's all you got? And the guy starts like panicking. And the little, like, little rat, like, jumps in his face and makes the guy pull out all his money. He whips out, like, this, like, wad of cash. And he's like, thank you. You'll remember next time. So this guy was trying to rip me off. That's how most of us live our Christian life when helping other people. But it's not just you. It's me, too. Because... We're not used to living self-sacrificially. In America, North America, in Canada, we're used to chasing the American dream. In Canada, we like the American dream just as much as the Americans. We just like to make fun of them for it, but do them the same thing. To live a Jesus life, we have to reorient ourselves to the way of love and giving love even when it's not reciprocated. You know that thing that led Jesus to the cross? The right thing that wasn't easy? 
you got to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And he has the ability to make things right. That's how we live, right? If we're going to look like Jesus, he gave self-sacrificially. He gave abundantly way more than enough. He wasn't like, here, just scratch me and I'll have taken care of it. You need to shed some blood, so just a little, little thing. He said, now take all of me. Take all of me. Proverbs 11 in the message says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world, I love this. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Verse 25, NLT. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Wow. If I take care of somebody else. God's going to take care of me. If I refresh somebody else, if I bring some relief. I mean, think about the times that you yourself feel refreshed. I mean, most of us pictured around a pool somewhere, I'm sure. It's the only time I really feel refreshed is if I'm by the pool. Okay, so then should we help somebody take a vacation? Not Seb. I don't know, but like, if I'm going to refresh somebody else, and the only way that I feel refreshed is by that one thing, maybe I should help them do that one thing. Or find the one thing that's their thing and help them achieve it. It's not that I'm going to be able to do it all myself. But if we all do it together, we maybe we can. Or if we all just give towards it, that could be enough to pushing somebody forward, moving them into another season. If you refresh others, the Lord will refresh you. Just a thought. Bible-based thought. <laughs> All right. So there's three ways that we can give. And if you, who's taking growth? Anyone taking growth track here? Anyone taking growth track? Anyone taking growth track? So growth track is, uh, is a great way for you to get involved in the church, to learn more about the church, what we believe. is our pathway to serving and getting you involved. This morning, I taught Growth Track. We had like 12. It was like a record number. It was an amazing class of people in Growth Track. But it happens during the first service, 10 o'clock. So you can just show up, come for that, and then come still come to church at 12. It would be amazing. If you did that, you'd be an all-star. And the Lord will refresh you because you're refreshing somebody else. That's generally how you manipulate the scripture um, for your own personal gain. But it's a great thing. And in Growth Track, we talk about three ways that you can give at the church, three ways you can get involved. But today I want to take those three ways to give because sometimes we just make it all about the organization, about the institution. There's three ways that I can give as a person. I'm not talking about volunteering, even though I think that's very important and you should do it. I'm not talking about serving at the church. I'm not talking about giving money to the church. I'm saying there's three ways that we can give and we can show people that we're a disciple of Jesus through, through love. Here's the three ways we can do that. If you're ready, say, I'm so ready for this right now. That was all right. All right. Let's read the Bible for all oh, that's going to screw thing uh, up. All right. Number one, time. Time, you know, time is money. I don't know why people are laughing. Time, there it is. You know, time is money. I love this in Ephesians chapter 5. Making the very most of the time, buying up each 
opportunity because the days are evil. This was the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus saying, hey, you know, you know what we need to do is maximize our time because our days are short. <laughs> this is an evil world, and we need to just do the best. Like, we need to get out there and maximize every moment. Like, redeem every moment. Make every moment count. One of the best ways that we can give, that we can show people the overwhelming love of Jesus is by giving, and oftentimes sacrificially giving, our time to those who need it. Whether it's showing up to help somebody move, or sacrificially going to meet your friends to watch the hockey game at 8.30 at night, when you should be sleeping, and resting, and getting ready for the Sunday, you're going out just to spend time with your friends, you know, sacrificially. That's what I tell my wife. Uh, no, but one of the best, the easiest, the simplest way, which literally costs you nothing, but in some ways costs you everything, is to be a person who's generous with their time. Most of us are, are really stingy with our time. I just need to protect my me time. Me time is not a real thing. It's a fake thing. You made it up. Most of your me time is wasted time. You're doing nothing. I'm on hot water. It's actually a black stage. But the reality is what we think of ourselves as me time is us hoarding large amounts of time in which we should do, feel like we should do something or do nothing or refresh or recharge. But we do nothing to recharge and we do nothing to be contributing. We just exist. So one of the greatest gifts that we could give is our time. And out of that extra time that we could learn to manage better, because we all could do time management better, we could extract maybe a half an hour to go meet somebody for coffee, because that's meaningful, especially when somebody needs it. You could take the 30 minutes, since you're already cooking supper, you could cook an extra meal and put it in the freezer and give it to somebody else when they need it. Like, there's creative ways that we can use and redeem our time to give generously to people. One of the fastest ways is by eliminating the phrase busy from your life. Hey, how are you doing? Busy. That's not how you're doing. That's how you want me to think you're behaving. Hey, are you busy? I, no, I'm not busy. I've got things to do, but I'm not too busy because busy isn't real. Being out of time is real, but being busy is not real. Busy is what I project when I say, I want to keep you away from me. How's it going? I'm really busy. Didn't you have three nights off this week? Real busy. <laughs> it's just another protection measure. What if we just didn't say busy? What if we just said, what are you, how are you this week? Oh, I'm productive. Or I'm not productive. <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's been a good week. Have you had lots to do? Yeah. You know, I really need to have coffee with you. I know that you're really busy and you probably don't have time for me. Do you have any time? You know what? I don't have much time, but I am going to give you something. Instead of saying, yeah, you're right. I'm pretty busy this week. We, we can just reposition a simple phrase instead of projecting myself as busy. Listen, I appreciate I think everyone in here works really hard. We don't need to try any harder to convince anybody else that we're working hard. But when we try and project to other people that we're working really hard and we're being really productive, what we're actually doing is putting up a barrier, and I'm taking way too long on this. Number two. Talent. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can 
help each other. I think this is the most significant verse in terms of spiritual giftings that I've read in a long time. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Not so that I can show you how spiritual I am. Not so that I can project this persona of spirituality. But God said, I'm giving you tools in the natural by creating you with certain gifts, talents, and abilities. And I'm giving you supernatural gifts so that you can help somebody else. Most of us use our natural gifts and our spiritual gifts to further ourselves. But their intent was to help somebody. Number three. The one where we all arrive. Treasure. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. There's that famous phrase. I'll show you your friends. I'll show you your future. I can, we can modify it. Show me your bank accounts and I can show you what you care about. Mine shows that I go to coffee places way too often. I love coffee with an everlasting love. The way Jesus loves this world is the way that I love coffee. <laughs> Continuously and copiously, I want it at all times. That's, that's the way Jesus pours out his love on us and that's the way I pour the coffee into my mouth. And my bank account reflects that. You're like, oh, look at the pattern. In the morning and the afternoon. All the time? Who is this guy? How many times did you go there? I went there a lot of times because the way that I behave and the way that I invest my money shows a pattern of what I love. So if I love people, is my bank account reflective of that? And I'm not even talking about a tithe. I'm not talking about an offering. I'm not talking about putting the money in the, in the offering basket. I'm not talking about the envelopes at the back or the debit or the credit or the tithely or any of those things. I'm talking about my friend needs help. Maybe I should help them. And guilty is charged. I'm, I'm not good at this. But the whole point is that God's speaking to us to move us together and move us forward as a church. And we can have these hard conversations because it's wrapped in the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he's pulling the best out of us. He's developing our character, the very first fruits of the spirit, which is the first evidence or result that God is at work in my life is love. So what we're doing is exploring what it means to truly love somebody. We love them with our time. We love them with our talent and we love them with our treasure. You've been listening to the Engage Life powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.